back. Hey, Brett, how's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. And we start off with our listeners' very favorite thing, which is a trivia question for Brett. Skipping the trivia question is our listeners' favorite thing. No. In fact, every listener that participated in our 100-episode giveaway challenge actually said that the trivia was their favorite thing, so you have to keep doing them. Uh, Um, Yeah, they just wished I'd get a little more of them right every once in a while. That's that's, that's true. Uh, So what percentage of Americans are not saving anything for retirement? 30%. 15%. Come on. So, and of course, this is working class or working age Americans. So we're not talking about the elderly that are in retirement or children that are, you know. There you go qualifying the question again after I answer it. Yeah. So I guess if we include all those, but then that would be like closer to 50%. So I don't know. You're still wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyways, I kind of wanted to take a step back today and just talk about why aren't people saving for retirement Um, Obviously, we're not going to get into, like, a discussion of, like, wages or or jobs or any of that. Um, We want to focus more on the individual and the psychology behind it because in terms of saving money, there's obviously a lot of circumstances outside of your control as, as so far as the wage that you get paid and the economics of the country you live in, right? But typically in America, that stuff is set up well enough. Our economy has actually been doing really well for a lot of years now. Um, and most of us should be able to save something for retirement. So so then it comes down to a choice, right? Of like, or, or a mentality of like, I, I should do something else with this money that could be going into some form of the savings. Yeah. Right? And I will say like, we are marketed to from basically when we come out of the womb until we die. Oh, Um, I mean, yeah. Targeted kids advertising. uh, I mean, we're in the consumerist society. So producing things and consuming things is our bread and butter, right? And in fact, like, you know, that old adage of like, they don't make it like they used to. I actually listened to a podcast recently and like that is completely true where they actually had a meeting um, like an old light bulb company years ago was like, our light bulbs are lasting too long. We need to make them burn out faster so that people buy more. And like, there's a, so there's this light bulb that's been like burning for a hundred years and they like won't even turn it off because they're like, if we turn it off, it might never turn back on. <laughs> um, but you know, like that, you know, that's even something Brett and I did when we bought our first house, we switched to Cree light bulbs, which are like LEDs. They last a lot longer. And like, we've moved them from house to house to house to house with us now. Right. Um, yeah. We got them Yeah, a lot, long time ago. Yeah. Five, five six years ago. And yeah, we've. All of our lamps, all the ceiling lighting in our house. Like, we just keep swapping the bulbs out. Because, I mean, they weren't inexpensive to buy at that time anyway. Because they were, like, I don't know, 8 to $10 a bulb. Yeah. Like, $7 on sale, something like that. But they don't they don't use any energy and they don't expire. So Right. But, I mean, just watch out. Because I bet in a few years they're going to make, like, the same type of LEDs that are, like, these don't use any energy. But they're going to, like, you know, burn out and... four months like they're supposed to so that you can buy some more um and i think that's like everything that we basically that's just the society we live in like we have throwaway clothing throwaway makeup throwaway you know light bulbs down to furniture people replace it a lot more and i've even noticed brett like a huge trend in basically your home where like if something is if a house is like 
10 years or a kitchen is 10 years old, people will be like, I can't live here with these cabinets. And I'm like, cabinets are not something you should replace every 10 years. Right. Some some style agency somewhere like creates a big trend and then that proliferates through like home and garden TV and like all the news shows and, uh, you know, they start implementing that in like the latest like home build. So then newer houses have like these things, which means that like fancier houses have these things right and so yeah it used to be granite countertops now it's different kind of countertops now the flooring's all different the color of flooring is different it's the reclaimed wood movement right um you know it used to be oak you know light oak cabinets now it's like dark maple cabinets or white shakers white shaker cabinets (laughs) right yeah the big big trend as well yeah so it's just kind of crazy because what all of that is doing like if you're if you're renovating your kitchen every 10 years or your bathroom every 10 years, those are like the most expensive areas of your house to renovate. You can easily drop 50 grand. Right. And to be on the latest trend, right, all of those things are five times the price of other things right. you could replace it with. So, I mean, really what it's doing is creating the society where we just spiral and we spend more and more and more. Um, but what I wanted to do today is take a step back and talk about So if it's so easy to encourage people to spend more and save with the latest and greatest, why is it so hard to get people to talk about their finances? Right. And, and it's, it's a difference too, between like, whatever is changing your mindset to be like, this is, this is functional or usable, practical versus whatever is making my emotion determine what nice is defined as. Right. Right. So how, you know, if my ki- my kitchen is no longer nice, but it works the same way that it used to, um, right? Something something changes in my personal behavior. It's not about, the, the kitchen didn't change, right? It still works the same way, unless, you know, the drawers fell apart. Um, but, or unless, yeah, unless something physically breaks. Right, yeah, so so how do, I, how do I retrain my brain to like realize that that's okay? And how did I get in that place in the first place? Yeah, and it's interesting, um, because even like, as far as kitchens go, I was actually reading something recently about how like a galley kitchen is designed to be to maximize efficiency in the kitchen essentially and everybody wants like the big open like island because that's what we see on HGTV. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting but yeah so and I think you know to kind of peel this back sometimes people have you know asked or alluded to like how are you so good with money and I've openly admitted like I grew up with a financial planner but I also feel like something that works really well for me is I am very logic based in all of my decision making so um when we think about the emotions of like well I want this new thing like my practical brain can kick in pretty easily and talk myself out of it and I can do that for any purchase so not just something big like a kitchen but even something as small as like you know buying a coffee on a daily basis even if I don't have coffee at home, which I haven't so far because we've moved here about a month ago and I just haven't gone out and bought a new bag of coffee yet, but I can just like convince myself that I'm good with water. Um, and so having that like practical brain and having that, having that voice in the back of your head that is basically just like devil's advocate constantly mm-hmm. is a really powerful tool that I've kind of found to keep my spending somewhat in check on a regular basis. Right. And, and yeah, you're right. It applies at all levels. You can do it for every single decision that you're making, right? You can evaluate opportunity costs and like be super logical and methodical about all the, you know, all of the actions that you perform and all the things that you would have spent money on or saved money on more importantly, right? Because that's a different Right. Those are two different decisions that you're making. Right. I can either like 
give this money away or I can hold on to the money is one decision or I can like invest it in somewhere that makes it harder to get to but is better for me long term. Um, kind of one of the, the biggest examples of what you're talking about and the most famous is uh, when you're buying a house and either a good realtor that you're talking to or maybe your family, they will immediately tell you that the common practice is to not get emotional, emotional, emotional about a home buying process because you, right, as soon as you do, you become the weaker side of that equation, right? You're trying to negotiate with somebody. Um, you, you lose all your buying power. If you are like more emotionally invested in like getting this property, you're gonna end up paying way more for it, right? If you're willing to walk away, car sales is another good one, right? You gotta be willing to walk away from the deal. Otherwise, they're gonna not gonna give you like as good of an offer as they you know would have given you. Yeah, and so I think kind of going along with those purchases too, another emotion that's really kind of important to keep in, in check is jealousy or mm-hmm. envy. Envy. Because I think a lot of times especially in our age group and most of our listeners, I actually uh, saw some demographics recently and we're mostly chatting to 20s and 30, people in their 20s and 30s here on this podcast. And if you're older or younger, obviously everything still applies to you, but especially people in our age group. And then I think people maybe in their 40s, that's kind of the point in which people buy their first home and then kind of their second home is in their 20s and 30s and then 40s. And it's really easy because you watch your peer group and you say, oh, well, like so-and-so, oh my God, did you see their house? Like they got this and it's beautiful. Or Right, or, or your neighbors, right, right. especially. Um, what did your neighbors do? Did they move somewhere else? Uh, did they upgrade whatever so-and-so? And their house is amazing now and they, they decided it was a good decision. So I'm going to bandwagon on that and it must be a good decision, right? Right. So I'm going to do this too. And then all of a sudden you have three, four, five neighbors all in the neighborhood that are all kind of just like dumping money to the same developer to go redo all their kitchens or whatever it is. Right. And it's so easy to, you know, or you see somebody buy their first house and maybe you haven't bought one yet. And you see the part of town they buy in or the size house they get in. And you think, well, if so-and-so in my peer group can do this, then surely I can too. Mm -hmm. And by, I think what you kind of have to remember is a lot of people don't have a background in personal finance or making good financial decisions. So it might not have been a good idea for them to buy the house or car or you know, home renovation that they did. Right, because you don't know what the rest of their situation looks like, or maybe even you do, and right, they haven't been investing in the 401k ever in their entire life, right? right? So they just have like an extra pool of money that hits their checking account every month. And so they're just like, oh, I got all this money. It's burning a hole in my pocket. Better go renovate my kitchen yeah, um, or buy a new house or, you know, time to upgrade uh, and inflate my lifestyle, right, a little bit more because that makes me more important. And therefore, uh, you know, they're, they're really in trouble long term. So you shouldn't be emulating that behavior. Yeah. And we actually, you know, I met one of Brett's parents' friends for or friend's parents for the first time a few years ago. And we were like at her gorgeous lake house. And I was kind of in one of those like shell-shocked things where I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know how to act because clearly this is somebody who's like super wealthy and I'm going to need to like, you know, be on my best behavior. And and you're just like rubbing elbows with somebody who is is clearly well off or, or you think so in your mind. And immediately she just like made me feel super comfortable and was like, we're cooking dinner at home. And she started talking about how frugal she was. And I was like, oh my gosh, can we be best friends? Like, I know you're in your 60s, but I love you. And um, then she really kind of mentioned how like, you know, she worked her butt off and her entire life, her entire working career, her goal was to be able to afford that house. 
And so I think it goes both ways. Sometimes you don't understand people's financial situation and they're getting themselves into all this debt. And other times you don't understand people's financial situation and they've literally been saving for this item forever. Right. Um, and then, I mean, she just had a better financial background or backing or had some examples younger in her life where, you know, it made sense for her to like have that strong savings foundation. Right. And now people are making in, in like their you know, late 20s, dual income, they can, you know, qualify, quote unquote, um, from any mortgage company to go buy that same house, right. which is nuts. Like they could be her next door neighbors. And like, yeah, she worked her whole life to be able to like qualify and accurately afford that without ruining going into her, debt. Yeah, without going into debt, without ruining any of our, her other savings goals. And then you have people that are just starting from that position right. and have like no savings whatsoever and are totally set up for failure, well, but they look the same from the outside. Right? Well, you have people from the, you have young people doing that, but you also have people who are in retirement who did not save up for yeah. that specific goal, who just saved up one lump sum of money that they need to live off of for the rest of their life. And then they decide to go and spend half or all of it on a lake house Mm -hmm. and now their savings is completely depleted right so that's what i mean about like you don't know everyone's background but what you do need to do is to kind of separate that and not worry about what everybody else is doing and focus on your life what makes you happy and what are your priorities so i think a super powerful thing to do to kind of get past the emotional side is to Physically write down, these are my top three goals. And whatever that is, it could be, I want to be able to go and buy a latte every day. Because some people get more enjoyment out of the daily pleasures than like one big thing. Mm-hmm. Or um, long term. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, you know, Brett and I, we get more pleasure out of the long term things. So one of our goals would probably be to hit a, you know, target level in our mutual fund savings account because that provides us a big safety net for an emergency fund. It provides us the ability to save for bigger future long term goals such as, you know, maybe a different home or auto purchase. Right. And just by hitting those goals, we mentally understand and tie that to we now have opportunity. Right. So we're just dumping money into this account, uh, trying to get it as high as we can. And then when we hit those goals, we're like, okay, now we can do like this or this or this. And these are all like really big opportunities that we can go after. And, you know, the world's our oyster. Well, and we've kind of mentioned um, before with like some of our investing and our compound interest podcast, we've talked about how any dollar that you invest today starts working for you tomorrow and keeps investing, keeps working for you forever. And that's something that we've really taken to heart where um, Brett and I have mentioned a lot on the podcast about how we love to travel. And we actually have not taken a big international trip for two years now, which I know like everyone's going to be like, oh, poor (laughs) you. Like, but you know, that's something that is important to us. And we do a lot of travel because we value it. Um, But we've kind of put that on the back burner to hit our savings goals. But that also means that in the future, because we took this money and we saved it now, in a few years, it's gonna start kicking off dividends and investment returns for us. And then it's basically gonna pay for an international trip for us in the future every single year, right? right? I mean, that's the payoff that you get from investing this money. So we're choosing delayed gratification in some of these areas. And by no means am I sitting here saying like, poor us, like pity us, like, no, we are making this choice very intentionally. 
And we're still having a lot of fun in the meantime. Because we're not taking international trips, it's allowing us to prioritize being tourists in our own city a little bit more and going out and enjoying things here that maybe we wouldn't spend the money on otherwise. So it's all about compromise and finding that balance. Um, But it's, so I guess to go back to my point here, it's good to write down your top three priorities because it keeps you on track. And then when somebody else that you know gets that new house or new car or even something smaller, maybe they get a new purse or a new pair of shoes, you can refer back to your list and say, is it on my list? No, it's not. Does it need to be on my list? Right. Do I need to reorder my list? Was you, I wrong? Because you can change it, right? Maybe, or you didn't have complete information, right? Um, and so, yeah, if if suddenly you change a different, yeah, you, know, you hit a different stage in your life, and your priorities shift, and I mean, I know this has happened to us many times, right? We change our, you know, we have this plan, and then we end up changing our plan a little bit um, to reprioritize some of these things, which is fine. But you got to take something off that list, right? So if you're going to bring something else onto it, then you need to say, this is more important than one of these three things, and then that's coming off, right? Right. You just don't want to do that with like a kind of a knee-jerk reaction of like, me getting a new car is more important than saving for my retirement and like dumping any money into my 401k, right? Like that to me does not seem like a good decision, but it is your goal, I suppose. But furthermore, I, you know, I also think it's a really bad idea to say, well, I want a new car. That's my priority number one, and it needs to happen tomorrow. Or I want a new house and it needs to happen tomorrow. Like if you want a new house or a car, those are really big purchases and they shouldn't happen tomorrow. So what I think is, you know, what you're going to really regret is if you're like, well, my number one priority is to buy a house. So I'm going to cash in all of my retirement savings. Like you're shooting yourself in your in the foot. So if that's your number one priority, don't think like, how do I make this happen as fast as humanly possible with the resources I have? It's really without disturbing anything else that I've saved or any of my past priorities, which was to build, you know, my retirement savings to a certain level. How do I achieve this goal? Right. And, and you should still follow a lot of the principles we talked about. Like you don't want to you don't want to go into credit card debt to achieve that goal. You don't want to stop getting a match from your company at your 401k to achieve that goal. Right. Some of the like core baseline things that if you did those things, it's super detrimental to you. But you do want to reprioritize where your savings are going, right? Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of times you can reconfigure your budget, figure out how to save a little bit more each month. And sometimes the answer that people don't want to hear, but the answer that's really important is that it just takes time. Right. Um, Because mentally, the hardest thing to take that, to gain that extra money from, right, is the expenses. It's easy to take it away from your savings because you control that money already, like 100%. You control where that savings money is going. You decide if it's going to go into this account or this account, but it's coming through you to get to your retirement or your your long-term or mid-term investment funds. The expenses stuff, other people are kind of taking that from you or manipulating you mentally to take it from you. Right. Right? So stopping that outflow of cash is your best source of coming up with that money to meet that new goal. Right. right. And and so I think another kind of interesting thing to talk about is the goals of other and then figuring out what can I afford? And we've talked about this on some podcasts before, um, but sometimes it's not enough to have like $0 saved anywhere else and then save up, you know, $1,000 to buy whatever thing you want. Um, typically to really feel comfortable buying that and to really get like maximum joy is to not have your bank account fall back to zero after that purchase. Um, So this is something that Brett and I 
can actually speak on a little bit with houses because I think it's something that we've been pretty meticulous about doing. Um, But when we bought our first house, it really was probably the tightest equity squeeze we've ever had um, because it was our first home. We had to come up with a lot of initial money, all of that, obviously. Um, But then when we bought our second house, it was a lot easier because we had all the equity from the first house that we could roll right into that second house. Um, And that's something we really did do. We uh, were able to get 20% down because of that. And I think some people, when they get all that equity out, it's tempting to say, oh, well, I can just put 5% down and then look at all this money that I'd have to do renovations or buy new furniture or, you know, redo X, Y, and Z. It's way more powerful to maintain that savings and then chip away slowly at everything on your to-do list. Right. Or even, I mean... It, it can or can't be a good strategy to like roll all that equity back into the house, right? So if, if you have 50% down, maybe you don't want to put all 50% back right. into the house, right? 20% Keep it, keep it, keep it at 20%. Um, that's u- usually the right choice no matter how much equity you already had. And then, it, yeah, you're investing that other money and making that money making you more money. So if you delay your renovation project instead of doing it on day one when you move in and you need that money in hand, if you delay that until next year, then you gained all that interest on that money. And what did you lose? You lost uh, one year of having an older kitchen or bathroom, and now your kitchen or bathroom is gonna be in style for one year longer, right? Or, right. Maybe, or maybe you caught the new trend, and uh, now it's gonna be more in style for like 15 years, right? Right, um, if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're, yeah, if it lasts that long. Yeah, so we've kind of talked about you know that emotional side of things about delayed gratification. And I think once you start doing some of these steps, it's baby steps, but you will find that like, even the emotional side of savings compounds. And sometimes Brett and I even have to check ourselves because we will save for a goal. And then we like, don't really want to just see that money go to, you know, that account go to zero. So then we like wait a little bit longer. Right. Um, so it's definitely finding that middle ground and finding that balance. And, and put it's just putting your own, you know, your, your mentality with like bumpers around it, right? Or safeguards or whatever, right? Um, you know, for bumper bowling. Um, you just want to prove to yourself that I can, I can take money from one spot and translate it to another spot and then it's at no loss to me. Right? Right. I'm not hurting myself long term. So a better example, it's not with houses and cars and bigger purchases. It's with smaller things, but things that you want to have, right? So if I want to give up, like if I'm spending like somewhere between two and five dollars on lattes, you know, maybe a couple times a week to five times a week, right? If I didn't do that for a year, I could buy like a pool, right? Or like an above ground pool or like something else fun for my family or you know something else that's really awesome and are entertaining for me to use or do or i could buy paddle boards or outdoor sporting equipment or you know anything that's in like that like small to mid-tier price range you can make like adequate expense changes on your day-to-day life uh like bringing your lunch every day instead of going out to eat every day turning those things that that turns into like a pretty decent amount of money very very quickly if you wait like a year and change that behavior then you just have like all this like cool stuff that you can do or if you decide at the end of that year that you still don't want that and that was just like a one time kind of a fad um, then great you have a big pile of money that you can now either invest or put in a mutual fund or you know turn that money into better longer term money right so i think one of the key attitude adjustments to make um, if you're just starting out with some of this is to switch your attitude from like, this is impossible, I could never save this money, I have to have everything in my life that I currently have to, I can do this and I can figure this out. Because just in talking to different 
frugal people I know versus spendy people I know, that's the big thing I've noticed is like just the willingness to problem solve and make a change. So like I've talked to, you know, a family of three who spends $200 to $250 a month on groceries. And I've talked to a family of three who also believes that they could not spend less than $1,000 a month on groceries. Both people, in my opinion, eat healthy. They both eat, you know, good things for Mm -hmm. them. One is buying definitely more high-priced, heavily marketed items versus the other one who's just going down to, like, their local farmer's market and buying direct from farmers. So instead of, like, you know, buying the superfood that is ginger, they're just buying ginger. Right. (laughs) And it's not marketed and branded in the same way. We've seen that, especially with like how meat can be branded in the grocery store versus like just buying meat from our farmer. It's like way cheaper and like it just doesn't have all the buzzwords on the packaging because there isn't as much packaging. (laughs) Right, yeah, because I mean, where we lived before, you could drive by like the pasture where the cow was and be like, that's where the cow like was walking around every day and like now he's for sale um, at the farmer's market. Like I'm pretty confident in that quality of meat, right? Right. Versus like, you know, whatever super industrial farm that that cow came, you know, other competitive cows would have come from for much cheaper prices than like the big box stores. Right. Um, right. You don't want to drive by those places. They don't let you drive by those places. Right. They don't let you see those cows grazing around because they don't, right? Which I don't, we don't need to go into a deep <laughs> rabbit hole about meat here. Um, but more so just kind of the importance of I can do it. And I think that'll get you really far in saving money. But even in terms of like, you know, we had to swap out a a bathroom sink recently well a, like the faucet yep. and instead of saying oh we can't do this we need to hire it out we just went into it with the mentality of well we can probably do this and you load the sink up with some towels and a bucket so that there's if there's a leak you can fix it and it's fine right like we made it work right you try and get the wrench in there and you swear a bunch because it doesn't really want to fit and eventually you know, after an hour like all is done right it's right it's fine um and the new ones are super easy to install now. Uh, so uh, people, you know, old things are not always the best to come full circle from the be- the beginning of this podcast, I suppose. That's old frigid, old appliances, fantastic. Old sink installations and whatever technology they were using at that time to make all my pipes rusty, bad. Yeah. Um, so kind of the last place that I wanted to go to on this journey is just really addressing people who don't even know what their financial picture looks like. And how do they even get started? And I think the key here is to put all of your feelings of maybe you're ashamed, maybe you're scared, maybe you don't even know where to start. Set those aside, take a deep breath, and just like log into your bank accounts. Um, And I say this from a place of like really understanding because when I was in college, I was on a very, very fixed budget. Like I just... I didn't have a lot of extra money to spare. Um, you know, I was I was paying for my groceries and everything, but I was like, my groceries at the time were about $100 to $150 a month. Like I just didn't have a lot of extra money. And sometimes it would be hard for me because I'd get caught up in the moment. I'd be with friends and they'd be like, let's just go out to dinner. And when you're with a group of like five, 10 people, you don't wanna be the one person that's like, okay, have fun, everybody. Like, you all go to dinner and I'm just gonna not. Um, And so I would go and I would do these things. But like, at that point in my life, spending $20 randomly on a dinner, I mean, that was like 20% of my food budget for the month, you know, Mm -hmm. and it makes a big, big difference. And there would be times where 
I would put it on my credit card and I would be so scared to log in and see what my credit card bill was because I typically tried to keep most of my monthly expenses right around $500 a month. And granted, that did not include my rent. Um, my rent was separate, but that was like $250 a month. And that was like on auto pay <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, I was living, you know, super cheaply. Um, but you know, everything else was right about 500. And like, I would be so scared if I logged in and saw that number at like 700. And I'd be like, well, how am I going to come up with this extra $200? And sometimes it was, you know, I'm going to have to dip into my savings account. Sometimes it was, I'm going to have to go donate plasma. Sometimes it was, I'm going to go home to Lansing, you know, where I grew up for the weekend and see if anybody needs a babysitter or any odd jobs done around their house. Like, I'm just going to try to figure out how to come up with this money. Um, and, and it's scary. And so I would say, once I took a step back and I was like, where am I going with this? Where do I have money coming in? What are my goals? And I actually kind of set those boundaries for myself. Then I had a plan. And having a plan feels really, really good when you're going from month to month, scared of logging into your, into your credit card statement, understanding like th these are my goals. I want to have this savings cushion and I want to do these things. Then it made me stronger to say, okay, when people invite me out to dinner, I'll just, I'm stronger. I can say no and I'll can, I can just say, but I do want to meet up with you after dinner. Like, where are you guys going to go after dinner? Are right. you going to go back to somebody's house? I'll just meet you there. Because it's hard to, I mean, I did the same thing with just trying to save money, not for any particular purpose. It's it's a lot harder from a mental standpoint. Like, if I'm going to go out to, you know, with some coworkers after work or something, I don't really want to spend like 5 to $7 on a beer or two or something, right? I, I'd rather have the dollar than the beer. And so it's hard to like be in that situation of peer pressure and be like, oh no, you know, I'm just drinking water tonight. And they're like, oh, we're, why? You know, why is that gonna happen? Usually people aren't like that, but like the mental fear of like, that's gonna, I'm gonna be singled out because like I'm not doing what everybody else is doing as, as part of the group, right? You think you're gonna be, you know, singled out by the, the rest of the herd. And you know, most people don't care. Or they're like, if you have a goal that you're saving for, be like, hey, no, you know, I'm not spending, I'm not buying any beers tonight. I'm saving toward this thing. People are very understanding of that. It's right. a little bit harder to come up with an excuse when you're just like, oh no, I don't feel like spending it tonight. It's Then you're just gonna lie and be like, oh no, you know, I'm not drinking, you know, I'm hungover from yesterday, ha, ha right? Or, or come up with some other lame excuse, but. Yeah, you know. well, and I think, you know, I think you've had a pretty good reaction. I know I have had people in my life who don't always have the most understanding approach. Mm -hmm. And so even if I say, well, I'm, I'm saving for this, they're like, oh, but you can afford this. Or, oh, it's just 5 to $7 for this beer. And that's why, like, having something that you're really passionate about and just keeping that list, like, you know, sometimes I even used to write, like, sticky notes and put them up around my house or I'd write a list of things. Um, it, it really just helped keep me centered from day to day and be like, no, like... I know you think I can afford this, but you don't know the ins and outs of my budget. Right. So and people people want you to bandwagon too, I suppose. Right? Absolutely, like that, that's, that's why a it's the huge ask. culture. Yeah. Right. It's like it's the whole norm of like, but we all go out right. and we all have a beer. It makes them feel like they're justified in doing what they're doing if they can get other people around them to do it as well. Right? Absolutely. Whether that's getting into trouble in high school or whether it's like getting into trouble as an adult. Um, or, you know, people just want to feel like they are part of a group. Yeah. Um, and I think that's super common. I think even, like, back to your example, Brett, of, like, neighbors, right? It's like, oh, well, like, so-and-so just installed a new deck, so we can install a new deck. It gives you that feeling of validation. 
but if you just, you know, you can also be the trendsetter of like, oh, we just resurfaced our deck. You know, we power washed it and restained it and it looks great. We did that um, at our first house actually. And we had neighbors that were like, yeah, we were thinking about replacing our deck, but like yours turned out pretty good. So maybe we'll just do that. Mm -hmm. So like it goes both ways. Like you can be a really good influence on people or you can be a really bad influence on people. And I think knowing what you need to do and if you're in credit card debt, it's you don't have to even feel bad about saying that you can't afford a beer because you really can't. Like you've been digging yourself into a hole every single month. And I know going out to happy hour is fun, but what I used to do when I was like in super debt payoff mode is I would go out to happy hour and I would get a water or I would say, okay, I'm going to go to happy hour, you know, twice this week, but only one day am I going to get a beer and the other day I'll just drink something else. Right. I mean, you can just get like a, an aqua tonic, right? So you just have some water and some fizzy water that's poured into it and like a lime and like they basically every bartender will give you that for free yeah and then you just walk around with that and it looks like you have a drink um i know i had another friend that used to walk around and he'd just like pick up an uh, like a empty beer bottle uh when it was that type of a bar like off of a table somewhere and just carry it around and be like you know it looked like he was like still hanging out drinking and stuff but he was like you know keeping it on the down low yeah so i mean if you're if you're in those high pressure situations i mean there's there's certainly ways to work around it um but i don't know i found that if it's a close-knit group that i'm familiar with they're a little bit more understanding if it's a bunch of if it's a bunch of strangers or if it's a certain personality type there are just people that are this way right they just want people to bandwagon and you know spend more money because they spend money absolutely and you know i think another thing is we've always kind of encouraged like well, I've, I've mentioned before that I'm part of different like book clubs and joining cool meetups in your area or cool clubs in your area can be a really good way to like meet different people and maybe meet like-minded people. But going to those meetings can be expensive because typically they're at a restaurant, especially the first few if you're just getting to know people. Nobody's really comfortable having them at their house. And so in those situations, I typically just budget accordingly. Like I know I'm going to go to one book club this month. So I'll just like tuck aside 20 bucks for it. Or if it's a month that we're really trying to not spend quite as much money. If I go to a restaurant, I feel like I have to get something and, you know, order something and tip. So um, if I don't want to get a meal, then maybe I'll just get like a coffee there and say like, you know, I already ate or, or you know, I'm, I'm going to lunch after this. So I'm just going to have a coffee here. And there's like no problem doing that. Um, so you can get a coffee for a couple bucks and you can just, it, when I do that, I still leave the waiter like a two to $3 tip, which I know percentage wise is like blowing it out of the water. But that way that's what they would have gotten if I ordered a meal. So I'm still giving them the same rate they would have gotten, but I'm out of there for $5 instead of 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just bought me going to like four you know, book clubs or whatever, instead of just one. Right. And some other tricks you can do too, are just challenge yourself in different ways. Yeah. You can have plans and goals and that's probably the best way. But if you, if you're doing like a competition, like we've talked many times before that we do like no spend Septembers, um, or we'll be saving for a certain thing. So like we, you know, we, we try and like, you know, make it more of a game. If you have a, a spouse with you or a partner or a boyfriend, girlfriend, and somebody that you're, uh, you know, can talk openly about your finances with, you can sit down with them and say like, we're gonna have a competition to see who can not spend as much money this month, right? On, on like just going out to do stuff, uh, kind, of a, kind of a deal. 
And so, yeah, you just come up with creative scenarios um, when you're in that mentality, um, when because your your brain's just like trying to trying to solve these problems all the time um, because you you have a dedicated competitive goal, and you have a better excuse too because you're like, oh no, now I have a story, right? Uh, no, I'm trying to, I'm you know, me and my my boyfriend are like not. Uh, you know, we're having a competition to see who can spend the least amount of money this month, right? So you time gate it. It's a short-term thing. Then people are way more understanding. Uh, you have a great excuse, um, and you're you're saving money at the same time, right? And your spouse is saving money at the same time. Yeah, and I think another key, um, especially if you're kind of new to all of this and you don't really know how to get started, is just start small. So set a goal of like, you don't even have to have a goal of saving money this month. You could simply have a goal of like. Who can spend less money going out to eat this month? Mm-hmm. Um, or who can save the most money on groceries by like clipping coupons or whatever? And um, and then you can kind of flip that to like, okay, you know, who can who can save the most just in general this month? But you don't even have to be on the same playing field as somebody to kind of play these games. So um, when Brett and I started dating, I was in college, I was broke as a joke, and he was already out of college working like a full-time job. So just naturally, when somebody's in college working very part-time versus somebody working full-time, he just made more money than me. And so instead of like saying like who can save the most amount of dollars or anything like that, we would literally just do like who can spend less. And then I was obviously at a clear advantage, um, which was, you know, it just made it fun. And then we would kind of set individual goals, but we would hold each other accountable. So we were pretty open with our finances from pretty early on in the relationship, just because we kind of had to be since I was like pretty broke. And (laughs) I just had to like be open with him of like, I can't, you know, he lived in Chicago at the time. And I was like, I can't drive here every other weekend and spend a ton of money going out to eat. So just naturally we would come up here and we would go grocery shopping together and um, do those sorts of things. But, you know, we were pretty open about like, I would say, you know, my goal is to just like not get into any more debt my senior year of college, which I wasn't even trying to save any money. It was just like, don't don't go backwards, right? Mm-hmm. And and you had a goal of like saving your first emergency fund. So obviously you were trying to go forward. I wasn't trying to go back. I was just trying to stay where I was. But we were both able to check in with each other and say like, how's it going? You know, how's, how's saving money going? Or how's not spending money going? And having that accountability person, especially early on in my journey, was super nice for me. Right, because you're basically treating each other as like a like a mentor in that kind of relationship because you, you have somebody to play off of, somebody that's not going to like judge you about doing this activity. Everybody's kind of in it together, right? We're bandwagoning back in the right direction, right? So right. I'm going to be saving a bunch of money. You should save a bunch of money too. And we'll all be saving money together and then we're all better off for it at the end of the day. Um, and you can you can tighten these knobs as much as you want, right? Because like when you're talking about these strategies and these games and stuff like that early on, and, and looking from it from before you have started it, you know it's pretty intimidating. And you can say like, well, this is gonna ruin my life, right? Like I'm not gonna have any more friends. I can't be social anymore because like saving money equates to like not going out and like not having those interactions anymore. But you don't need to do that. It doesn't need to be that way. And try this stuff for like a month or a couple weeks and just see how it's impacting you. And, right. and then make adjustments. Because if, if, you, if you and your spouse are like having a competition to save money and that person like never leaves the house ever, they stop driving, they uh, only eat the food out of the pantry that's already there and they stop grocery shopping. I feel judged. <laughs> uh, yeah, sound familiar, Angela, for the last <laughs> month. Um, 
you, you right if that is detrimental to your lifestyle and you look back and you're like yeah this was a pretty miserable time then adjust for that right. right you don't have to go all the way back to where you were before but what were the things that you were living without during that time that are great like you don't need to you don't need to have those things i you know you just realized i was just spending money on this stuff and it wasn't adding any real value to me i was just doing it because it was a habit or a behavior and right so you end up with some wins out of that but then you go back to like a more uh, regular schedule. Absolutely. And one area I can even think on that recently is we've been just trying to get our groceries into a reasonable price as we settle into living into Chicago again. And there's a lot of grocery stores right around us, naturally, um, some closer than others. And the one that's closest to us just seems to have a little bit of a premium for everything. And so we got kind of like reintroduced to Trader Joe. And I remembered like how much I liked that store. And and there's some really good deals on some stuff there. And then there's some stuff that I'm like, eh, not the best deal. Um, but then I was also, you know, we were actually buying food for our dog. We've talked about how we make her homemade food. And we were trying to find the best deal on chicken. And I, w- you know, I've never been a big Aldi shopper. It's just, it's never been convenient for us. It's never been close to us. And it's never, like, we've always had cheap options anyways. And I like have been shopping at Aldi lately and I'm like, this is actually a really great store that has really good prices. Um, so sometimes just by challenging yourself to like, okay, this month I'm gonna only spend X number of dollars on groceries, you have to get creative. And sometimes it leads you to finding new kind of staples in your life. Right, yeah, and that's really easy to see uh, when you're buying 25 pounds of chicken at one time, yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the numbers, yeah, the getting getting you know, 25 cents off is a big, uh, a big, money saver but i will say that chicken when it is on sale for all of my you know friends here in the midwest we have meyer which is just fantastic um but when it's on sale at meyer or aldi is far cheaper even when it's not on sale at meyer or aldi it's still far cheaper than costco is what we found (laughs) out because we were like we're gonna have to get a costco membership and we're gonna have to pay for it we're gonna have to get our chicken there and then i found aldi and i was like hold up aldi saves the day so thank you aldi and thank you trader joe's for giving me uh reasonably priced groceries in a big city i actually really do appreciate that because that's super important Mm -hmm. so yeah we couldn't get it all from the farmer's market right couldn't no they didn't they don't really have a ton of chicken here so yeah um okay well we're i think that about wraps up this podcast is there anything you want to leave our listeners with brett um yeah Tell Angela we don't want any more trivia questions. (laughs) All right. Um, And I will leave our listeners with a challenge. So if you've been kind of stuck in a rut with your groceries, since that's something Brett and I have focused on recently, I challenge you to check out a new store in your area that you've never been to. Because even when we, in the past two cities we've lived to, there were tons of grocery stores and, you know, we only went to a small handful of them. Check, check one of them out. See, is there something that I'm missing? Is there something better that I've never been to? Um, and then if there is, let me know what that store is because I'd be very curious to know if we have it by us and I'm missing out on something great as well. Yeah, some of the best things that we can find here are the local markets that don't advertise and like don't market and they're oh, not big true. names. Oh, that's true. Devon and- Market up on... Uh- Devon Devin. Street. Uh, I see you, and you have really good pork prices, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. great store. A lot of good people that work there, good quality stuff. So um, they just have to be better uh, to keep existing because they're they're such small places. So. Yeah. Yeah, shop local. Maybe that's another challenge that I give you is, like, check out one of your local businesses because I've been, um, you know, we've been shopping a little more locally again. People are just so friendly. So we had, like, 
Um, in, the, in the move, we had our bikes that have the quick connect front tire that bolt fell off. We went to the bike shop here and like the, the guy just took them off bikes on the floor to give to us. Yeah, oh. super nice guy. Super yeah. sweet. Just came up with a solution, didn't even question it, and was just like, oh, here you go. Uh, not not even something they sold. He had to, like, key it into the inventory uh, while we were checking out. So Yeah, yeah. Real, and gave us, awesome like, guy. bare bottom price for it. So. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, shop local, check out a new grocery store, and let me know if any of that provides any interesting feedback to you. I'd love to hear it. All right, I'm cutting you off, Ange, uh, before you start dishing out any more challenges. All right, thanks. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.